For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and you are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Um, we got a good recap show for you today. No guest. Um, and we're going to kind of get into everything that's been going on the last few weeks. It's been a very busy two weeks. A lot's been happening. And I apologize for not getting a pot out last week. There was a lot of things going on, and I got called in for certain protests and certain... Um, certain things going on around the area where I work and there happened to be a riot and that kind of brings me into my first topic I want to talk about today and that is um, everything going on in the world surrounding Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and racism. Um, Obviously what happened to George Floyd, what happened to Breonna Taylor, all of that not right whatsoever by any stretch of the imagination. And there's been a lot of protesting going on, and unfortunately a little bit of rioting, but a lot of protesting, peaceful protesting, and um, a lot of those aren't to be outshadowed by the looting and the riots, but um, Coco Goff has really used her platform um, to really get the word of racism out, and I think she's done a phenomenal job of what she has really tried to be going out there, and I've been really proud of the tennis community Um in rallying around this. I saw some Gail Monfils posted some stuff. Um, Big Foe, Francis Tiafo has posted some things. Um, Coco Goff. And I think it's important. The sport of tennis is such a predominantly white sport. Um, it's traditionally like a country club, you know, take your white polo and put the collar back and um, play it on a country club. And the way that tennis has been over the last 20 years in this 21st century here has really made me proud to be part of the sport and um, to watch the sport and has really made me more interested in the sport and to see, um, you know, Roger Federer come out on, um, I believe it was Blackout Tuesday and Roger Federer posting a black screen with a heart. I mean, stuff like that really gives me chills to see, you know, the highest person in the sport of tennis, which I will get to later in the podcast, but to post something like that and show his solidarity with the blacks, with the African-Americans um, in the sport of tennis. That is, you know, Francis Tiafo, Coco Goff, Serena Williams, um, Madison Keys, Sloane Stevens, Gaia Monfils, um, Sangha, and many, many, many more. 
Um, and it's really good to see the sport of tennis start to become a little bit more diverse, but also see the sport of tennis and the biggest names in tennis really get after a movement like this because the Black Lives Movement is so important, especially in the world right now. It has been for so many years in the United States and around the world, and right now it's ever so important that they bring this topic, that the world brings this topic to the forefront to end all of these police brutality cases around um, around you know African Americans and the way that the sport has shown its solidarity has really made me proud to be a part of a, you know a sport like this. You see sometimes you know in the NBA or the NFL you know they have some of those outliers that really um, maybe put a bad name towards um, not only their team but sometimes the league. And I feel like the sport of tennis has done a really good job. I know U.S. Open has put some things out there. And um, just really, really proud to be a part of the sport of tennis where they do support such an, a powerful um, and impactful movement that is the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, really proud of Coco Goff, you know, such a young, such a young woman um, really using her platform and her um, stage to get a word out there and not sitting back. Sometimes you see um, when kids get some type of fame and then something happens like this. Maybe they'll step back, but the way Coco Goff has really gone after what she believes in um, oh, literally gave me chills. Um, gives me chills just thinking about it right now and really just shows um, how ahead of her time she is. Um, and she's shown us that on the tennis court, but to see it off the tennis court in this magnitude is second to none and amazing. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I just wanted to touch on that at the beginning. Um, to show my support, but also show um, how proud I am of the tennis community to um, really back a movement like this. Um, I think one of the the person we just talked about, um, one of the people we just talked about, and Roger Federer, um, being one of the most powerful sports people in the world, um, it just came out that last year he made the most money in the world. Roger Federer is the number one pay. He's the number one athlete, highest paid athlete over the last year with $106 million. I saw this on um, Forbes. And when I saw this, I was like, you have got to be like, that's so much money. It's more than Messi. That's more than um, Ronaldo. That's more than LeBron. I mean, that is more than a lot of people. And $106 million in one year shows how powerful this sport is and how powerful this sport can be. A lot of people you know, put tennis on the back burner. And the fact that someone just made more money in the sport of tennis than any other sport in the world over the last year really shows the power of tennis and the global structure and how powerful the global structure of tennis is. And so, like, I don't want to say, like, congrats to Roger Federer because, you know, the man probably doesn't need a whole lot more money. But, you know, congrats to Roger Federer. And thanks for putting a good, positive outlook on the sport of tennis um, throughout your whole tenure of being a professional tennis player. Let's move on. Um, a little bit more news here. Fabio Fognini has had some surgery, a left ankle surgery. It said it's been bothering him for three and a half years. Um, he just started to learn to cope with it, he said. Um, and then the right ankle started playing up in the past two years as well, he says. Um, and then he kind of just thought it would go away and start playing a little bit more. And then the fact, um, the fact of the matter is this time maybe gave him a little bit more time to get something like this done. And he actually got surgery on both of his ankles. So um, I don't know how you do that, both ankles at once. Um, the recovery is going to be a little interesting. But, you know, speedy recovery recovery to Fabio Fognini um, 
you know, he's one of the most entertaining players on the tour and um, probably couldn't have picked a better time to get something like this done, especially with both ankles. I'm not even sure how you begin to recover um, having surgery on both ankles. But, you know, speedy recover to that guy. Um, Here's the biggest topic I want to talk about today, and it's the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open is set to begin um, the end of August, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of conversation around it right now. And let me just tell you what we know about the USDA and the U.S. Open as of right now. So I looked it up. And the U.S. Open has just cut 110 jobs from their White Plains campus. So what that means is their national campus, where they have most of their you know employees, they cut 110 jobs. Now I didn't see where those jobs came from. So who knows if those jobs are you know player operations or security or I've zero idea. So don't put me out there that. I know what jobs those were because I really don't. So, but we know that they cut 110 jobs. You know, I'm, I'm assuming financial hardship. It's hard for everybody right now. Um, but there's, they said they're still set to go on August 24th. They're still hoping, and I think this is one of the biggest things is they're still hoping to go at the end of August and really, you know, let their tournament still grow this year, even though if it's without fans. Um, I'll get to that here in just a second. So a real good insight to what's going on at the U.S. Open came out, um, ESPN came out with it, and I watched the whole interview. And it was an interview with Novak Djokovic talking about um, the impossible nature of maybe having the U.S. Open this year. It kind of caught my eye, and I was like, what is Novak talking about here? So obviously, being you know one of the best players to ever play, I watched Novak Djokovic's interview. And in this interview, he talks about how he's had meetings with the World Tennis Organization and other things. And here's what he says that the protocol would be um, at the U.S. Open. And in in this thing, in this interview, he talks about how it would be almost impossible to put up with the extreme rules the U.S. Open would have for the U.S. Open. And being it would be the first major event since COVID um, in the tennis world, and even you know the first major. Um, in the tennis world since the Aussie Open that canceled Wimbledon and they postponed the French, there'd be some, there's some big eyes on this tournament to see how it does. So here's what Joker says. He says it'd be impossible with these extreme rules. And so he said he can't release a lot of the extreme rules, but here's what he says he can tell us. He said the players would have to stay at the airport, which I would assume would be LaGuardia because LaGuardia Airport isn't far, but LaGuardia Airport is maybe five minutes from the campus the um, USTA National Tennis Center campus, the Billie Jean King one. And it's about five minutes away, but that airport's been under construction for quite a while. So I don't know if there'd be enough to stay. I mean, there's just a lot going on around LaGuardia Airport. So, but he said they'd have to stare at the airport. He didn't say LaGuardia. I'm just assuming LaGuardia. Um, and said the players would have no access to Manhattan, which would also be interesting because when the players come to the US Open, that's one of the big things they do is they stay in these hotels in Manhattan that certain companies put them up in, and that's part of their sponsorship. So if you're telling a player like uh, Stefano Sitsipas that he can't go stay at this really nice hotel in Manhattan because they're not letting players in Manhattan, and who knows, he might get money out of that deal, and it might be part of a contract he signed with them, things start to get fishy. And that's how a lot of players at the U.S. Open do. They don't stay at the hotel that you know, maybe the U.S. Open gives them or gives them a discount at. They stay at a hotel they get sponsored for and post a couple social media posts, and they let them stay there for three weeks. I mean, what a deal. But um, that's one of the things he said. No access to Manhattan. 
He said the players would probably be mandated to be tested for COVID two to three times per week. And here's the real stinger. They would only be allowed one person with the player. Now, Novak says that is unthinkable. He talks about how you have a, you know, you have a coach, you have a physio, you have a trainer, you have family, but, but you would only be allowed one person to bring the U.S. Open. And so that's what he says would really, really hurt the U.S. Open and maybe question if some of these bigger time players would even want to go. Would it be a waste of their time to really struggle to get this tournament in? Obviously, it's a major, so everyone would want to be there and win a major, but there'd be a big asterisk in the corner of like COVID major. One, probably wouldn't be any fans. Two, I'm guessing that um, you'd only be able to play tennis there and you'd have to leave. You can't work out there. You can't do anything. So that also brings in a question of like, how are you going to be in top shape if you can only show up to practice and then just go straight back to your hotel? So there's a lot of big question marks question marks going around the U.S. Open this year. And I think one of the largest question marks is if it's such an extreme event to put on with such extreme measures, are a lot of big-time players going to play? Um, I know, you know, Federer's coming off of knee surgery. Is he going to want to play in this? You know, if there's such extreme measures, um, I have just a hard time believing a lot of the... I mean, it is the U.S. Open, so I assume a lot of players want to play, but there's so many people that go into putting a tournament on. So even without fans, there's going to be thousands of people on campus. Um, and so it'll be interesting. I, I, I really don't know what to think of the U.S. Open this year if it were to happen. Um, it's There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of things that could, should, would happen. And I think it's just going to take the next few weeks to really dial in and see what these, you know, see what these regulations are. I mean, it is June, so it's coming up in the next couple months. So you're going to, you know, players going to have to be ready for it. Um, a lot of players I put on their social media, they have start they have started practicing and they are playing, um, which is good. But practicing and playing is a little bit different than playing in tournaments and competitively for hours and hours and hours. So um, the U.S. Open is definitely on my radar to keep my eye on. And I think the French Open that's in September, which is shortly after the U.S. Open, is really just keeping an eye on what the U.S. Open is going to do so that, um, you know, if the U.S. Open cancels, if the U.S. Open does something dramatic, I feel like the French Open might, you know, follow suit and jump right behind them in what they do. Um, or just wait till the U.S. Open does something and um, follow what they, did, what they did really good and erase what they did poorly. Um, so the French Open sitting in a very unique spot right now. Um, but the U.S. Open, a lot of eyes on New York City right now. Um, and it's the epicenter. It was the epicenter. Um, the, I mean, New York had some, some of the biggest cases for a while in the U.S. So um, I get the Manhattan rule, but at some point, you know, I mean, these players are going to want to do what they want to do. I mean, these are million, million, millionaires, and they can probably do, I mean, they can stay in the Hamptons and be isolated from everybody in the Hamptons, you know, or in a loft in Manhattan, you know, and not have access to anything, just stay in their loft and do whatever they want. So um, I encourage you to keep following this as much as I will, and I'll have it in the next, I'll have it in the next podcast coming up, and I'll talk to some guests. Hopefully, we'll have them in the future um, right here on the Believe in the ATP Tour. So um, appreciate the listen today. It's not very long. Um, I kind of cut it short today just to get to the nitty gritty stuff and really say what I think on some of the harder topics. And then, um, moving on in the future, 
we'll really get into things just a little bit more as tennis slowly starts to get back up and running here, um, not only in the, United, in the United States, but around the world. So um, if you want to you know, sponsor, you can reach out at Believe Podcast or at Believe.com um, or reach out to me at Jacob Sersosimo, C-E-R-S-O-S-I-M-O, both on Instagram and Twitter. Until then, keep following tennis on social media. Let me know what you think. And uh, hopefully next week we can get something special right here on Believe in the ATP Tour. Stay safe out there. It's a crazy time in this world. Um, you know, support those who you think need to be supported. And uh, please, please, please stay safe during this pandemic. Take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.